because the little doggy knows he's in for a wild ride tonight because there's nothing as hot as Nitro, baby. I'll tell you something. You're the only guy I know that would show up here on Nitro with a four-pound tarantula wearing a saddle. You want to ride him, I know. I don't want to ride that crap. Enough of this. We got a lot of action coming your way. We're going to talk about Hulk Hogan. All right, everybody. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, the only weekly chronological look at mid-90s WCW's flagship show, the show that participated in the Monday Night Wars alongside WWF's Monday Night Raw, Monday Nitro. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me as always... Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, and uh, happy Rosh Hashanah to you as well. Oh, a mighty uh, Rosh Hashanah to you, <laughs> as uh, the Jews say. Uh, maybe. It is September 25th, 1995. We are in Florence, South Carolina, in front of 5,000 fans, uh, 2,000 of whom actually paid to get in. Uh, in our intro, I don't know if you noticed, but Lex Luger has replaced Vader, so Vader is no longer a part of the Nitro opening. Yeah, that took a few weeks, but eventually they figured it out. Yeah. Uh, Pepe is dressed up as a horse this week. He's looking pretty cute. He's got a little saddle on. <laughs> we are right to the action this week after the normal beginning of show uh, welcomes from our announcers. We go to Alex Wright. He comes out and he's got Pyro this week. Yeah, Das Wunderkin, this is the uh, second time that he's been able to start off Nitro, so it seems like they have a lot of faith in him as far as uh, putting on a really good performance to get the crowd going. Absolutely. He glad hands uh, with the fans on the way to the ring. His pyro lasts his entire walk down the aisle. I, it's, it's just kind of a shower of sparks from both sides of the uh, the entrance ramp, but it, looked, uh, it was pretty cool. I liked it. Spare no expense. Speaking of awesome entrances, his opponent <laughs> All right. making his Nitro debut, although oh. he's been in WCW for a couple of weeks at this point, is Disco Inferno. Yes, the Disco Inferno shows up <laughs> into our lives, finally. He comes out to, of course, Disco Music, which he dances uh, to right in the entranceway and sort of all the way to the ring and then in the ring. Mm-hmm. He's wearing, uh, he's doing kind of a John Travolta, Saturday Night Fever gimmick. He's got the white disco suit. He kind of looks like him, and he's from Brooklyn. Um, he is Glenn Gilberti. He's a 26-year-old wrestler from Brooklyn who spent most of his pro wrestling career in the Georgia area to this point. Uh, Dave Meltzer says that he, he's got an amateur wrestling background, but I couldn't find anything on Wikipedia about where that was specifically or, or what kind of background. Uh, but he seems to be really loving this gimmick. Oh, yeah. And I really love this gimmick, too. It's pretty likable. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a good example of a guy who takes what on paper sounds like a real shit gimmick and right. just really leaning into it and making mm-hmm. it pretty awesome. Yeah. The enthusiasm with which he dances in the ring is pretty great. And I really like he's wearing the white uh, classic disco suit and he tears off the shirt. You know, he kind of does almost a strip tease. It's pretty PG, but mm-hmm. uh, but it includes him tearing off the pants, which is hilarious because under those, he's just wearing white wrestling pants. Yeah, he tears so, off white pants to reveal more white pants. Although his wrestling white pants do say, shake your booty right on the butt. And yes. I like that. <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, I was a real big Disco Inferno fan. Um, and I think one of the reasons... And I, this is going to be in the uh, the secret confessions of the Monday Nitro podcast. Yeah. 
is when I was in middle school, I was I had a phase where I was really into disco music. Oh, really? Yeah. So it, it was kind of one of those scenarios where he came into my life at the right time. <laughs> sure. And, and and like you said, he's just so enthusiastic. He's into this character and and also, I mean, just looking at the uh, the goofy dancing disco guy, it's like every single match he's going to be the underdog. Right. You, know, you don't expect him to win a whole lot. And you you always want to have an underdog to cheer for. So, as soon as soon as I saw him, I was like, this this is the guy. This is the guy I want to see more of and and hopefully he has some success. Well, he establishes himself right away as a heel by taking control early, attacking right before the bell. Uh, he kind of, as Gorilla Monsoon would say, Pearl harbors him, hitting him yeah. in the back. Yes. And then uh, preens and dances. This is kind of his gimmick. He fights for a little bit, and then he dances, and then he, he uh, preens with his hair. Mm-hmm. He really uh, swishes his hands through his hair probably a good dozen times in this match. Oh, yes, yeah. I, I I made a note of that that he I, I refer to it as his John Travolta esque pompadour yes. that he has, which is just it's uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it's it, his hair is glorious. Like a, yeah, <laughs> it it's like everything every hair is perfectly in place, and you yeah, and it, it seems like every time he, if he pauses, he's he has like some key in his mind. Like if you pause, you gotta check the hair, right. <laughs> Well, Alex Wright uh, manages to take back over the match with a springboard dropkick where he very nearly falls off the top rope on the springboard part. His knee kind of buckles. But yeah. He really, uh, in a pretty impressive display of athleticism, manages to recover and uh, hit the dropkick. Dropkick looks pretty good. Uh, he sends Disco to the outside and then flies over the top rope with a flying crossbody. Mm-hmm. Sends Disco back into the ring and uh, does kind of a cool spot where he gets uh, whipped to the ropes and then cartwheels around Disco Inferno. Yeah. But Disco uh, manages then to catch him with a clothesline and and regain control of the match. Disco eventually goes up to the top rope uh, where Alex Wright then tries to drop kick him off the top rope. Mm -hmm. And you can see this pause in Disco's mind where he realizes he's been kicked and he's on the top rope right. and he doesn't want to fall to the outside which is a pretty long drop that's going to hurt. Oh yeah. So he pauses and kind of thinks about it and then <laughs> rolls forward into the ring defying mm-hmm. all laws of physics. Yeah. But it's a much much safer bump. I can't really I don't hold it against him. And and this was uh um I, I think it kind of went unappreciated as far as the the height that Alex Wright needs to get that drop kick since he's on the top rope. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. Disco uh, eventually goes for his neckbreaker finisher. Um, Cause this is very much just an update of kind of the honky tonk man gimmick right down to the honky tonk man, shake, rattle and roll finisher. Mm-hmm. What does he call his neckbreaker? Does he have a disco theme name for oh, it? I, I don't know it. Well, we'll have plenty head. of chances to get to that oh, in yeah. uh, in future episodes. So he goes for a neckbreaker but Alex Wright manages to counter that into a surprise backslide uh, so that he gets the win with the backslide. Disco looks really confused, and I really like Nick Patrick does like a full pantomime of how a backslide works. <laughs> he's, try- <laughs> he's trying to explain with his body to yeah. Disco Inferno how such a thing could have happened. <laughs> so this was a short uh, but enjoyable match. What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was really good. Uh, in... In, for both their careers, it's just interesting that uh, Disco Inferno's first opponent was Alex Wright, considering that their their careers kind of uh, 
go along together. Run parallel? Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, uh, and, because... uh, and they both have dancing gimmicks uh, to a degree. Not It's not Alex's Wright's full gimmick, but he does a little techno dance when he gets to the ring often. Yeah, and then they. it seems like when WCW doesn't know what to do with them, they put them as a tag team. So they're a tag team on more than one occasion. Oh, interesting. Well, I really liked this match. I thought these two had good chemistry. I like Disco Inferno, the character, um, and the wrestler. He... I liked him on, on both counts, so I was pretty impressed. 65! You know, Huckster, the Taskmaster's trying to plant the evil seed, trying to stir it up, trying to destroy all the Hulkamaniacs, man! Well, you know, Jimmy Hart, they thought we were dead, but we're not even down and out, brother. Hulk Hogan hasn't been looking his wound since Fall Brawl. Hulk Hogan hasn't missed one word. You know, I feel like just tearing... Take it off, don't take it off, Huckster. Brother, I haven't missed a workout yet. And I'm not going to miss any man. The way things are going, I'm going to set this no-good stinky giant up and take him down. Everybody knows he tried to rip my head off at Fall Brawl. And as I heard the snap, the crack, and the pop, I even myself, as my hands went numb and my legs went numb, thought it was over, man. But Hulk Hogan's back on track and coming at you, you big nasty giant. First off, if you got the guts enough, I'm building me a bigger, a better, and a stronger Hulkamania monster truck. If you got the guts, let's hook them up, man. Machine against machine. And I'll drag you all the way around the arena just to get even time and time again. Just embarrass you. And then if you can get by that big man, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. I'm going to take the WCW heavyweight title and put it on the line. That's right, brother. I'm going to challenge you, dude. And when you accept the challenge, if you do, face to face, which you haven't done yet, I'm going to put you in your place, brother. I'm going to prove that Hulkamania is the most powerful force in the WCW. I'm going to prove that the largest arms in the world can stand any test, brother. And as I launch you, put you over my head, and slam you through the mat, in Detroit, brother, you'll be laid to rest right next to your father, right where I beat him. And then that only dark cloud that's hanging over Hulkamania's head of immortality will pass me by, brother. Machine versus machine, then the title on the line, brother. What you gonna do, big stinky nasty giant, when the largest arms in the world destroy you? So as you could hear from that clip, we went after that match to a promo from Hulk Hogan. He's in a locker room lifting weights uh, with his neck that Jimmy Hart's kind of holding uh, above his neck and he's he's lifting and i really like the uh coming into the promo as jimmy hart's going 64 65 <laughs> <laughs> just to, to convince us that he's been doing them you know a ton. yeah i also like as soon as we get to hogan he needs to let us know that he has not missed a single workout yeah he basically he kind of cuts it both ways he no sells the injuries at the hand of the giant but he does say that he felt his arms and legs go numb, uh-huh. and he's wearing a neck brace, so he kind of wants it both ways. He wants to say that it was a, a devastating attack, but he also wants to say, I'm Hulk Hogan, and, and it didn't hurt me. I'm fucking Hulk Hogan. Right. <laughs> Breaking my neck doesn't cause me to miss a single workout. Not a single workout. He, uh, he calls the giant stinky, and he challenges the giant, uh, as we mentioned in our last week's episode... The giant had destroyed his motorcycle with a monster truck. Hogan declares that he's going to build a bigger and more powerful monster truck. Mm-hmm. And at the upcoming pay-per-view, Halloween Havoc, they he will uh, they will face off in a monster truck uh, match. I don't know if he uses the term sumo match in this promo, but they will eventually call it that. 
and he says that he's going to drag uh, the giant monster truck all over Detroit. Yeah. What do you What do you think? Does that get you excited to see a wrestling event? The fact that there's going to be a monster truck match there. <laughs> uh, it's just. I mean, the way that Hulk Hogan's promos go, yeah, it seems like an obvious conclusion for him is that, well, if you use a monster <laughs> truck, I'll get an even bigger monster <laughs> truck. Right. <laughs> but it, it's, you know, the giant, we have yet to see him wrestle an actual match. Right. And so you would think that his first match being against Hulk Hogan for the title right. would be enough of a selling point. Well, I think they're kind of panicking at this point. I mean, they must have been planning this for a while in order to build two monster trucks. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can't be completely a reaction to this. But Fall Brawl, the last pay-per-view, had the lowest buy rate of any pay-per-view since Hogan has entered WCW. Oh, okay. So I think they are uh, in a little bit of a mode where they're throwing anything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Because um, though they are, as we pointed out, they seemingly are more intent on being a television company than a pay-per-view company. Yeah. Uh, I mean, pay-per-views are a source of revenue, and Mm -hmm. to throw them out there with such low buy rates is... That's got to be a little alarming for for the powers that be, Bischoff and and Turner executives that are looking at WCW's books. Yeah, and it's a good thing that they, in response, are building monster trucks instead of, you know, building up really big matches. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's still still a ways away. It's about a month away before Halloween Havoc, and we know for sure. Well, at this point, he's challenging him. Or if he accepted the challenge? Did he accept the challenge? Giant is not accepted yet. Hogan lays the challenge out. Okay. Yeah. Oh, are you talking about a match or the sumo part? The match. The actual match. I honestly don't know. Yeah. We're missing... WCW has a lot of shows at this point because they have Saturday night. They have Monday Nitro. They have a show called Main Event that seems to be on Sundays. And mm-hmm. I think they even have another one. So there's a lot of programming, even by watching every single Nitro uh, we're still and the pay per views at least enough to know what happened. Yeah. We're still missing kind of a lot of WCW to be honest with you. Yeah, but uh, one hour of, of podcast a week focused on one show is is probably enough for even <laughs> <laughs> even the most voracious wrestling appetites. I, I I don't even know if I will listen to a recap of main event through the years. <laughs> I don't even know if you can get that. I don't. I, I'm not sure if it's that's not on the even... network. That's for sure. All right, next we go to commercial. We see Macho Man beat the shit out of a mannequin and yell uh, stuff at us about eating Slim Jims. <laughs> that mannequin looks like it's seen better days. <laughs> we come back to the ring and Mean Gene is in the ring. He immediately introduces a recap video for the uh, Luger uh, Macho Man feud. Mm-hmm. I thought that the video was a little long and kind of sloppily edited by modern standards yeah especially uh i mean that's the thing that probably wwe currently does best and has done best since maybe 97 98 Mm -hmm. they put together these fantastic uh promo videos for feuds sometimes the promo video for a feud makes me excited for a match that i have not been like i've hated the feud but i suddenly get excited because the promo video is so good yeah so this is nowhere near that level this is a very long uh they they could tighten the screws up on this promo a lot but i did like that they are making promo videos to recap feuds to this point what did you think yeah um i i mean i thought it was pretty good i liked the fact that the particular quote that lex luger had last week that you pointed out was still on there yeah um and then when the two actually show up for this monday nitro it feels like they are just continuing where they left off. 
Right, yeah, we come back from the video, and Macho Man is, I think, already in the ring. And yes. He's wearing his uh, a black and white ensemble that looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets right to it and calls out Luger. Luger calls out, uh, comes out to the ring wearing his wrestling gear. And he runs down to the ring. He, yeah, he, he runs, and mm-hmm. he wants some respect, he tells Macho Man. He uh, challenges Macho Man to a match at, at next Monday's Nitro from Denver. He says that uh, sometimes you learn about each other by going to war with each other, but sometimes you need to go to war against each other to learn. Uh, so he <laughs> wants a match with Macho next week. Macho accepts. And then he he enthusiastically accepts right right away. (laughs) And then after the match has been established, after Luger has challenged Macho and Macho has said, sure, that sounds great. Yeah. Then Luger says, I'll put my title shot against Hogan on the line. Mm -hmm. Macho says, great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was already just going to wrestle you. But uh, now if I can win something even more. Sure. Mm -hmm. Why not? And then Luger, genius that this character is, yes. says, and also, if I lose, I will leave WCW. He says, he says let's make this interesting. <laughs> as, if, as if a first-time match between two fairly big stars isn't interesting. Mm-hmm. As if a title shot for the heavyweight title isn't interesting. Right. Now it's Luger lo- uh, leaves town if he loses. Not Macho Man. Mm-hmm. Macho Man is literally given no more stakes in this yeah he's he just uh gets he has no downside yeah right luger is a really there's poor a, negotiator there there's no downside to accepting this match which he has already accepted it's also really poor booking because it it makes the ending a foregone conclusion we know that there's no way they brought lex back four weeks ago and made a big deal of it, and then he's going to leave after losing to Macho Man on TV. Right. There's no way that's going to happen. The title shot was a good twist. I yes. thought that was enough. Mm-hmm. You didn't even need that, but if you want to add more to the match, they're maybe they're worried about the ratings, or they're just Bischoff is just obsessed with beating Vince week after week, so mm-hmm. he's going to do anything it takes. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that because we get the impression early on this week that they are pumping up next week, the Denver, Colorado and I, I didn't remember, did the ratings, were they dropping from their initial one or, or something? They went down after the, from, I think each week has gone down a little bit. Okay. Nothing to panic over, but I think that they are obsessed with beating Vince. Yeah. And uh, and they will do whatever it takes. And that continues to be a trend for WCW, really, uh, for its entire existence. Mm-hmm. It just gets to the point where no matter what they do, it's not going to pop a rating regardless. Yeah. We get a Halloween Havoc promo at this point. We're going to see a ton of these because there are a lot of weeks to go until that pay-per-view. And unlike Fall Brawl, they're not going to let this one go unmentioned uh, on television. They will promote the shit out of Halloween Havoc. However, they really only promote two things. They promote the Hogan uh, versus Giant match, mm-hmm. uh, man versus man. Yep. And then they show us uh, Hogan and the Giant transforming into monster trucks mm-hmm. for machine versus machine yeah. for the monster truck portion of the evening. And it's uh, the promo's got like spooky skulls and ghosts. And yeah. it's really, it's genuinely funny. Mm-hmm. I really, really, like I'm not even laughing at it in a mean-spirited way. I'm just like delighted that it was made uh, to be so classically spooky. It's yeah. really funny. Yeah, uh, I was going to make a point that I really like this particular Halloween Havoc commercial. Uh, they make it, they made it sound like a true 
tale of like wonder and astonishment because right. it's like yeah. the immortal Hulk Hogan versus the mysterious giant. All right, and you know what? I'm going to just toss in a clip right here so that the audience can hear it because okay. it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And we're going to have to sit through it 20 more times until Halloween Havoc, so <laughs> they might as well hear it once. Yes. It's the horror of Halloween. It's WCW like you've never seen. The man becomes the monster when the immortal Hulk Hogan and the mysterious giant lock up in a sumo monster truck match. Then the monster becomes the man when these two colossal forces bring it to the ring for the world heavyweight title. WCW presents Halloween Havoc. Sunday, October 29th. Live and only on pay-per-view. Coming back from that break, we get Colonel Robert Parker coming out to the ring with uh, the newest member of his stable. This is a guy who's been in WCW for a little while, Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made his debut in WCW breaking Road Warrior Hawk's arm. So yes. he kind of was set up as a pretty badass Japanese guy who will hurt people mm-hmm. uh, when, when he wants to. His yeah. entire walk to the ring, the announcers talk about Hogan and the Giant rather than anything about this guy making his Nitro debut. <laughs> Mongo uh, claims that Hogan will maul drag the Giant around Detroit. And Bobby says, Bobby just flat out asks, not even in, a, in, in Bobby's normal mocking tone, he just says, what does that mean? <laughs> and Mongo just can't think of anything, goes, oh, I'll show you later. <laughs> weak, weak excuse, Mongo. Uh, Kurosawa is, and I'm sorry if I pronounce this incorrectly, Manubo Nakashini, who is a young wrestler from New Japan Pro Wrestling who is doing the classic uh, Japanese wrestler excursion to -hmm. North America where a young wrestler to hone his craft uh, will go to another country to try and and learn stuff before they come back to Japan more experienced. Uh, And it certainly worked out for him. I won't spoil the rest of his WCW run, but he does eventually... Uh, win the G1 Climax Tournament in 1999. Oh. And uh, in 2009, a full 10 years later, he would win the IWGP Heavyweight Championship from Hiroshi Tanahashi. Wow. Uh, and he still does sporadic appearances uh, in Japanese promotions to this day. So uh, at right now in WCW, he doesn't look like much, but I think you could say the same for uh, Okada, who is currently a huge star in Japan who had uh, a pretty unremarkable run in TNA as, like, Samoa Joe's sidekick. Yeah. It's kind of funny how these guys, New Japan will send over some guy in an excursion. He'll be a chump in America, mm-hmm. but he'll he'll learn things. You know, these guys, no matter what they're doing, they're learning, and they go back to Japan, and they just become b- the best wrestlers on the planet. It's it's pretty incredible. So, yeah, it's uh, like, good for Kurosawa. Yeah, it's pretty much like when someone gets a an awful job as an apprenticeship or an intern. Or something like that. Right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Kurosawa's opponent is going to be Sergeant Craig Pittman, who is a former United States Marine and world champion Greco-Roman wrestler. Uh, this would never work in 2015, but he's a heel, even though his whole gimmick is, I'm a U.S. Marine. <laughs> yeah, I thought that this match was a strange choice because they they went from Lex Luger and Randy Savage uh, setting up their big match for next week mm-hmm. to dropping down pretty much to uh, with Kurosawa and Sergeant Greg Pittman, who are two lower lower card heels. Yeah, it is other. a weird show. I mean, shows are going to have ebbs and flows, but if you're trying to get over one of these guys, I mean, these are two, like you said, they're lower card characters. If you want to get over one or the other, uh, put them against you know a more recognizable baby face and have them get the win. Um, having two guys that the crowd doesn't have a, a whole lot of feeling for 
and then having them face each other, and they're both heels. I mean, Pittman gets a, a pop on the way in, I think, just because people who are maybe unfamiliar with the product, especially because there's so many fans who got comped in, mm-hmm. they see a U.S. Marine coming to the ring against a Japanese guy who's got an evil manager, right? and they think, no-brainer, this guy's a baby face. Yeah. And for more or less, if you, in the match, it's not that he wrestles necessarily as a heel. And the other thing is, both of these guys are relatively inexperienced professional wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, Kurosawa's been sent here to get seasoning, and Pittman's only been wrestling professionally for a very short time. So, yeah, all around, this is a, a curious matchup. And, and like you said, with uh, with Pittman versus Kurosawa, at some point in the very beginning of the match, Bobby Heenan says that these two are like natural enemies. Yeah, I noticed that. He tries to give it some kind of context and reason to happen. He says they're natural enemies and that they don't like each other. Mm-hmm. But no specifics are given as to what their problems are or right. why they're in any kind of rivalry. <laughs> uh, Pittman does he his main move is the like junkyard dog headbutt. Yeah, and he does it because he's pitbull Craig Pittman. So he does that a good like seven times in this match. Right. Whenever he doesn't know what to do, mm-hmm. diving headbutt to the chest. <laughs> Kurosawa, on the other hand. Uh, does a very Kurosawa uh, kick-based offense. A lot mm-hmm. of kicks. They look pretty good. I, I actually like Kurosawa. I thought he looked pretty impressive. This match actually, uh, on the whole, isn't as bad as maybe it sounds on paper. Right. They brawl on the outside. Kurosawa moves the protective mats and does kind of a backward suplex uh, on Pittman right onto the concrete. It's a pretty yeah. sick bump. Uh, Mongo says that it splatted like grandma falling out of her wheelchair, which is gross. <laughs> I I have that same quote noted as well because it, it it's goofy. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes sometimes Mongo's goofy lines like that I like, and this would be an example of that. Mm-hmm. Mongo is hot and cold for me. Yeah. Um, I, on the whole, I don't think he's very good, but he has some lines that are they make me chuckle, and occasionally you know, I I get it. I get why they hired him. He's mm-hmm. folksy. Uh, he's got those kind of, for I was going to say witticisms, but I don't want to give him that high-minded of a word. Right. He's got gags, is right. what he has. He's got gags. Anyway, <laughs> uh, he also in this match cannot, for the life of him, call Kurosawa by his name. He just calls him the Japanese guy. Because yeah. he, either he cannot be bothered to learn any of the lower card guys' names... I doubt he knows Pittman's name either. Uh-huh. Uh, I think he only knows the names of the big stars. And I think he's also like, there's no way he's going to learn how to pronounce that. Yeah. That would be downright un-American of him to learn. <laughs> yeah. Because remember with, uh, on the first Nitro with Jushin Liger, I think he kind of did the same thing. So yep. I don't know if uh, Mongo has this thing where he kind of just categorizes Japanese wrestlers and, and just doesn't want to have to try to pronounce Japanese names or right. anything like that. I don't know. <laughs> Pittman lifts a charging Kurosawa over the top rope uh, to the outside, which should have been a DQ in this period of WCW, going over the top rope or being thrown over the top rope as a DQ. Nick Patrick chooses to ignore it. The announcers briefly try to think of a reason that they could give for mm-hmm. why this makes sense and finally just give up and say it's just Nick Patrick's discretion and he's deciding to allow it. I think I think they made a reference to it being what well, was his momentum that took him over the yeah, top. Yeah, it clearly was not though. Right? Yeah. Pittman does have one cool moment late in the match where Kurosawa's got him in this kind of uh, 
arm arm based submission where he's holding his arm behind him, mm-hmm. and Pittman reverses it into a gut wrench suplex, and it looked really good. And uh, I could kind of see where maybe Pittman with enough time could become kind of a good wrestler. Mm-hmm. However, he's wrestling in a t-shirt, and it looks like his body's pretty unimpressive. He's got a weak gimmick. I don't think he can talk, but I guess I don't know that for sure. So I don't think he's long for the spotlight. Not with an hour, only an hour to give, and so many guys in their roster. Right. I don't, you know, I don't see Pittman getting much time. Yeah, I, from what I can remember, his uh, promos are pretty much like the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. Right. Oh, yeah, he, I read on Wikipedia, he, uh, I don't know if he coined the phrase, but he sort of popularized the phrase, the beatings will continue until morale improves. And oh. you still occasionally see that on, like, T-shirts and stuff to this day. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably just an old military phrase that he was maybe the first one to bring into the mainstream. Yeah. I noticed that Bischoff in this match, I think he's been reading Meltzer. Um, and I know, you know, Bischoff reading the dirt sheets is kind of, uh, he's well known for doing that and kind of playing to the dirt sheets. Yeah. Because uh, he goes out of his way in this match to call as many moves as possible. And I noticed that there's other matches uh, coming up that he'll do that in, too. So I think we mentioned in week one that he doesn't name a lot of specific moves. Right. He has now going out of his way to call every move that he possibly can. <laughs> it's 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 like a full swing in the other direction, and that's annoying too. You have to balance it out and and balance the psychology and the story of the match mm-hmm. with the moves. You yeah. need, you need elements of both. And and speaking of the sort of swings of Eric Bischoff. Uh, Throughout this show, there is a lot less references to the competition. Too. Yep. 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 Uh, he he's one way or the other. Either he is directly referring to WWF and what they're doing, or he doesn't say it at all. And this is one of those not at all. Yep. Absolutely. Kurosawa eventually gets the win with a belly to back suplex, and we go to commercial. Coming back from commercial, we've got Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman in the ring for. a promo and we will listen to that promo now welcome back everybody to wcw's monday night row joining me at this time arn anderson the enforcer brian brian pillman and gentlemen i'm not one to be poly pragmatic but i must say the two of you have collaborated and on the receiving end of that collaboration the nature boy rick flair <laughs> brian pillman. let's face it mean gene Ever since my man, Double A, walked that aisle at Fall Brawl and beat the man, the dirtiest player in the game, the Nature Boy, has reached an all-time low. He's groveling, he's begging on his hands and knees like some gutter slime, bad handling for pocket change in the sewers of Times Square. Let me tell you something, Flair. While you continue this pathetic quest for a partner, my man Double A and myself will be exercising our right to bear arms, our right to assemble, and our right to hospitalize anybody that gets in our path. Woo! All right, Arn Anderson on the subject of the nature boy, Ric Flair. I think you double-teamed him, there's no question. I think this was something that was pre-planned, premeditated, if you will, on your part. How could you do this to a man that hung with you for 15 years? Think what you want to think. I've known Ric Flair to act a lot of ways in the past. I know you're flipped, Rick. But understand one thing. The better man won. And if you're going to exact revenge on me, 
Remember the formula, Rick. If you jump on me, you jump on us. Now, you're one of the greatest of all time. But if you're going to get in a tag team situation, this is where I excel. You wonder why you couldn't get a partner with a fist full of 50s? I know about that with a $100 bill over the forehead, but make your point. You would ask Randy Savage, you smack this 70-year-old man in the mouth. Then you turn around and you ask Sting, who four years ago you crippled and almost put out of wrestling, and you wonder why? For 10 years, Rick, you ran over everybody, but you had me to back your play. What goes around comes around, and it's come around in your case. Gentlemen, we will see. I thank you, Flying Brian Pillman and the enforcer, Arn Anderson. Comments. So uh, what did you think of this Arn Pillman promo on Ric Flair? <laughs> The first thing I want to say is uh, I like when Gene tells Brian Pillman he's not one to be a polypragmatic, <laughs> yeah. which, so which, which, which I looked it up, and I've, I don't think anyone's ever said that before. <laughs> <laughs> Pillman's got the uh, classic uh, wrestling uh, black fanny pack at this point, too. Oh, yeah. Um, that might be a first uh, fanny pack appearance on Nitro, and it will not be the last. Right. And yeah, all three of them are actually especially awfully dressed. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Arn uh, continues to look like your dad, <laughs> in circa nineteen ninety five. Right. Uh, he has. He. I. I swear he's wearing like a, like a green crushed velvet jacket. Maybe. Yeah, it, that sounds. It's right. some, it, I mean, it just looks awful. And uh, uh, Gene Okerlund's wearing like this weird brown suit, and they all just look poor. You may remember from last week that Ric Flair promised that he was going to kick uh, Arn Anderson's ass this week, and we kind of left off on that cliffhanger if that was going to happen. Well, that did not take place, because the night after last Monday's uh, Nitro episode, Ric Flair would have eye surgery, a fairly minor eye surgery, but he is supposed to be out for four weeks. So uh, Pillman and Arn are out here cutting a promo, continuing the feud, uh, but Flair is out trying to recover from eye surgery. They, they play up how desperate Flair is to find a partner to take them on, even saying that Flair has asked Sting, uh, who, of course, longtime WCW uh, NWA fans will know mm-hmm. Sting and Flair are old, old enemies. And yeah. in fact, they just recently had a match that we saw on our debut Nitro episode. Yeah. And this this promo, I thought, was pretty phenomenal between, for both of them. Yep. Uh, they They really, really hyped up the fact that Ric Flair has, uh, since Ric Flair kind of does everything for himself, mm-hmm. now all of his friends are his enemies and he has no friends. Yep. And, and, and then Arn Anderson, without, I, I think they're, they're trying to make a reference to the Four Horsemen, but not directly saying it. Yeah. Because Arn Anderson said, if you jump me, you're jumping the both of us now. It's it's two on one anytime you see us. And Pillman does throw up the four, the yes. symbol. All so they never call themselves the Horsemen, but Pillman is certainly throwing the symbol yeah. up uh, it, whenever he gets the opportunity. It's almost it's almost like they are threatening Ric Flair with the idea of the Four Horsemen that the Four Horsemen might unite against him. Yep. But, so after that uh, great promo, we get a little preview for what's coming up on Saturday night. And uh, just to note here that we do see uh, that Johnny B. Bad will be getting the title shot that he earned against Sting for the U.S. title that, uh, at Fall Brawl. And we also see that the American males are going to defend their titles 
So that does confirm that Nick Bonkwinkle, Nick Bonkwinkle, Nick Bonkwinkle the commissioner, uh, did uphold that tag team title switch that we saw last week, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting because actually uh, that was not the original plan and months, uh, weeks, if not months, of Saturday night tapings have already been done that include Harlem Heat coming out with the titles on several occasions. Oh. So they're going to have to reshoot some entrances or something because the American males have titles uh, that future TV tapings say they are not supposed to have. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's a problem when, uh, you know, they've been playing up how Nitro is live and that's fantastic, but it does get tricky when you have a live program and a tape program. If somebody gets hurt now on Nitro, uh, seriously hurt, and they appear in the next eight weeks of Saturday night tapings, right? that's going to be a big, big problem. Yeah. <laughs> We get uh, here. We get a recap. Uh, the same video we saw last week of the Taskmaster attacking Macho Man on the Baywatch set. Right. Macho then comes out, and now his intro, his introduction has cool flames. Uh, mm-hmm. Pyro behind him. It looked pretty good. I liked it. And the Taskmaster came out first, and I just wanted to note that uh, the Taskmaster, who of course is Kevin Sullivan, yep. is so intimidating that the audience pretty much yanks and pulls his robe off of him <laughs> as he's coming down to the ring. You can see he is he is trying to give like a dead eye stare to right. the camera, but his jet his, the whole thing is almost pulled off of him by the crowd. Yeah, the Taskmaster, of course, is Kevin Sullivan, who has wrestled all across the southeastern United States, including stints in Memphis, Georgia, and mainly Florida. That's kind of where he was known primarily, other than WCW. It was in Florida that he came up with a double worshiper gimmick, um, and he liked working the boys and kind of trying to convince them that he really might be a Satanist. He also debuted uh, a valet who was an attractive woman named the Fallen Angel, who would later become his wife, uh, and sort of working the boys and her involvement with his life. Um, sort of that story is well known, but we'll we'll get there, I think, with the Taskmaster and uh, Chris Benoit and Nancy Sullivan slash Nancy Benoit and sort of what happens with that we'll talk about at a later time. Uh, Taskmaster... I, I talked when we watched this episode, I talked about this with you a little bit. I've always really disliked him and it has not a lot to do necessarily, although I don't like his promos and I don't like his wrestling. Right. But the reason I really don't like him is I find him really gross uh, because the proportions <laughs> yeah. of his body, he's kind of short and he's got sort of short arms and he's got bow, he's, he's bow legged yeah. and he's got really big thighs. And the effect of it is that he looks like a giant baby. Like, to the point where it is disturbing for me to watch because it looks like a giant baby is in the ring fighting people. Do you do you agree, Kevin Sullivan, giant baby, or am I just no, alone no, dying on this island? It, it, it's just uh, when I think of Kevin Sullivan because he always, always had the really small tights on. Yeah, and, yeah, that and that emphasizes the big legs, I think. Yeah, and it, he just reminds me, like, if you had like a family reunion and there's like that one uncle that really shouldn't be wearing like small, uh, swim trunks, like, right? Yeah, yeah. but it, it makes you uncomfortable. He, it makes yeah. sense that he spent time in Florida. Cause if you go to, you and I have been to Florida together. Yeah. If you go to the ocean, the beach in Florida, you will see a dozen Kevin Sullivan's out there. Yeah. yeah Kevin Sullivan's a total, he's a Florida man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, this match, I it's it's Macho versus the Taskmaster. It's pretty slow and plotting. I didn't take a lot of notes on it, to be honest with you. Right. Um, pretty much what I wrote eventually is um, that the Zodiac 
starts kind of jawing off at Macho, and Macho brings him into the ring. Uh, the ref then tries to stop Macho from beating up Zodiac. Macho shoves the ref down and gets disqualified. Uh, he's beating up Selvin and the Zodiac. Yeah. And that's the Giants' cue to come down. Uh, I like at this point, Bobby says that to take out the Giant, you would need a flamethrower or maybe a bazooka. And I think <laughs> I think the implication is that a bazooka might not even get the job done. Right. Maybe a bazooka would take down the Giant, but it's not guaranteed, my friend. <laughs> Uh, Macho gets a choke slam from the Giant, and I love the Giant's choke slam at this point because mm-hmm. he doesn't do it like we're used to seeing choke slams now, where he lifts the guy up and slams them down while he remains standing. Yeah, what he does at this point is lifts them up by the neck, and then he slams them down while simultaneously falling to the mat with them. So he lands on his stomach, and it it really adds a lot of impact. Yeah. Um, and and sound because you've got that additional like four hundred pounds hitting the mat. Right. Uh, so I love that version of the choke slam. I could see as he got older why he'd stop doing it, but man, it looks so much better than what we know in 2015 as a big show choke slam. Yeah, and this is the first week where I really feel like that they're starting to use the giant properly. Absolutely. Um, I mean, for a guy that's that, I mean, he's the indestructible force. Uh, I mean, him and Hogan, indestructible force versus the immovable object sort of confrontation. Mm-hmm. But they, they, until this point, they were hardly displaying, like, his power. Right. Um, and, and so he, he's taken him out. Uh, a couple Ren- jobbers come out. I was about to say, Randy Savage's friends are all jobbers. Uh, the jobbers two, come two, out. like, nameless guys come out and eat choke slams. Yep. And then uh, Alex Wright comes out. Yep. And comes off the top rope and gets caught in a big bear hug. Uh, which turns into a vicious belly-to-belly suplex. Yeah. Like, oh my, I would not want to be squished under the giant in a belly-to-belly. Yeah, in, in which the referee nearly gets his ankle rolled because he's way too close to it. Yep. Um, That's, uh, so after all those face uh, jobbers, and Alex Wright, who's not really a jobber, but a lower card face. Right. Uh, after they all eat those beatings, Luger comes out and at... I think at best could be what described as like vaguely sauntering towards the ring. <laughs> like he's moving towards the ring, but he's clearly not uh, in a rush to rescue anyone. Yeah. Uh, so it's unclear here if he's, uh, you know, he's still playing up this tweener persona. So is he going to join in with the dungeon in beating up Savage or is he going to save Savage? It's it, And it's still unclear uh, by the end of the segment because what happens is he stands over Savage like he's going to participate, but then the giant... Uh, grabs him and choke slams him. So Lex is in. It looks as if Lex's intention was to just fully heal off, uh, but that the Dungeon of Doom decided they don't like Lex anymore than they like anybody else, and they just decided to choke slam him. Yeah, so the- Lex looks really fucking dumb for mm-hmm. coming out and thinking he's going to help them beat up Macho without like making sure that they're cool with him. You'd think he would have done that first. Like, hey, can I come kick him too? Yeah, I mean. It- if you always if you go by the idea that one of the characteristics of Lex Luger the wrestler is that he's not very smart, yeah, it makes sense because as soon as he comes into the ring, not only is he is he leaning over to to mouth off at Savage, yeah, but he immediately is turning his back to the giant, to the biggest guy to in WCW, right? <laughs> and this is just another situation where it's the the motives of Lex Luger make no fucking sense, right? Ever, really. I mean, I, even from this, because they have 
the Taskmaster act like he's upset that he that the giant attacked Luger. But that's another thing where it's like it's never made clear as far as like is he with the dungeon or not. Well, two things we know from real life are that uh, Eric Bischoff does not like Lex Luger. And I think it's safe to say, based on the way he's negotiated his salary, that Lex Luger is not a smart man. I honestly wonder if he is being booked purposefully as a stupid character. That would not surprise... And he's just... He's too dumb in real life to realize it. So he's just taking what they give him and going, sounds great, boss. And he ends up looking like an idiot and everyone's laughing behind his back. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah. I mean, the, the impression I get is when he comes out to talk... Because talking is not, I mean, like stringing together words are supposed to be strung together. Right. It's not a strong suit. Neither is wrestling. Looking good is his strong suit, really. Right. His body. His body (laughs) is his single strong suit. Yeah. Looking like he should be a wrestler. (laughs) But what what I was saying is that uh, the, the impression could be had is like, let's have him come out and talk as many times as possible Mm -hmm. because he has no idea what he's doing. It'll be funny. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, I'm really happy to report that Bobby the Brain Heenan's signature bit makes a return at this point uh, because Bischoff says we need to go to a break. The Dungeon of Doom are leaving the ring. Right. Uh, Bobby instead yells, no, 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 no. (laughs) And the camera lingers. Uh, They don't go to break right away to see what he's screaming about. Nothing happens. The Dungeon of Doom are just leaving. They're walking to the back. And then we go to commercial. (laughs) So Bobby Heenan's streak of vague references to things that either don't happen or we don't get to see uh, manages the last four straight episodes. Yes. Good on you, Bobby. (laughs) I'm really, I'm proud of you. As we come back from the break, Luger is still in the ring trying to recover, but he has uh, the main event match this week against Meng. So he's just had his ass kicked, and out comes uh, one of the few members of the Dungeon of Doom we really haven't seen uh, so far, at least on this show, in Meng. Uh, Meng, I didn't really grab notes on his full background. He was Haku in the WWF. He's a Polynesian wrestler, known for being one of wrestling's true badasses. It, it should also be mentioned right before um, they have the, the matchup screen with Lex Luger and Meng, in, in which uh, Lex Luger's photo looks like it was taken about 25 years ago. Mm. And yeah, then, he looks about 80 pounds uh, lighter. He, he looks and, like he's in high school. years younger. Yeah. And, and he's facing Meng, who has a giant, like, wooden carved bear head. But he doesn't wear it to the ring this week. We saw it in the promo image, but this uh, he runs out to the ring, so I'm thinking the running prevented him from wearing... And I think it's a dragon, I think, is the carving. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure, but I'm not positive. It could well be a scary bear thing. I, we'll, I, put a, we'll put a picture up on our Facebook page, and we'll let you, the uh, listener, decide. Yeah. Dragon, bear, or some other sort of monster. I also... Uh... If you go to Google and you Google just WCW Monday Nitro, that's one of the first images that oh, comes nice. up. <laughs> so this is a real boring match. Uh, I mean, the story is just that Meng is dominating and beating the crap out of Luger because Luger had sustained some injuries from the Giant. Yep. He gets a couple hope spots, um, but it's I don't know how you're expecting the crowd to really get behind him too much when he just kind of came to heel off on Savage. But uh, in Luger's defense, the crowd does get behind him pretty well, actually. So uh, it seems like questionable booking, but what do I know? Because the crowd does get behind Lex. Uh, Meng eventually gets the win in this match by putting a spike on his thumb 
a foreign object and then jabbing it in Luger's throat for the one, two, three. Um, before that, there is a classic uh, Lex Luger highlight, though. Oh, what did I miss? Um, in which Ming is in one corner. Lex Luger runs over to clothesline him. And when he clotheslines him, Luger falls over. That's right. Falls over like he was just struck by lightning. He sells nothing like a champion. Yep. Uh, I, I think because it's right before the foreign object. So Mike, and then, but then when he realizes that he didn't get hit and that he delivered the offense, he suddenly stands up like nothing happened. Right. <laughs> but it's just, it it's like, it's such a Luger moment. Absolutely. And, and the more, like the older you get and the more you look at like Lex Luger matches, mm-hmm. a lot of them have little moments like that where he, he thinks he's doing the right thing. Right. But it ends up just failing. <laughs> <laughs> Bischoff hypes next week's show where we will get an appearance by Hulk Hogan. The American Males are going to take on the Nasty Boys. Dean Malenko is going to make his Nitro debut. And Lex Luger will take on Macho Man in the main event, uh, which is, of course, a match where the title shot and Lex's career in WCW are both on the line. In which they didn't have to be on the line, yet here we are. All right. What was your match of the night for this show? Uh, well, I went with, uh, the opener. I went with Alex Wright versus the Disco Inferno. I, I did make a note that this was not a very, it was not a particularly strong Nitro. Uh, no, it was not. Uh, I feel like the Alex Wright Disco Inferno match was decent. It was the winner by default. Really. Winner by default. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, who is your, and I agree. Uh, I was going to blow right past it because yeah, they're slim pickings on this one. What yeah. was your, who was your MVP? Um, and then my MVP, I gave it to the Giant um, because he finally was look. They made him look like an indestructible force, mm-hmm. and he's also just getting booked for like the big title match. Yeah, that's so. True. The next few weeks are gonna hopefully feature a lot of the Giant. I gave my MVP to the Disco Inferno, baby. Nice. I really love the enthusiasm, the gusto with which he ate up this ridiculous gimmick. <laughs> uh, it's He just got over something that had no business getting over, and for that, he is definitely my MVP. Nice. In our Raw recap this week, the Smoking Guns won the tag team titles from Yokozuna and Owen Hart. So you can see now that the... And uh, I should mention that this was the first live Monday Night Raw that has aired since we switched over, uh, since we started covering Nitro, rather. Okay. So this is the first live head-to-head matchup. So WWF is showing that they, um, like WCW did with the tag team belts, they're willing to do title changes on television in order to try to get ratings from the competition. In other matches on Raw, Marty Jannetty defeated Skip, a.k.a. Chris Candido, and The Undertaker defeated the British Bulldog by disqualification when Mabel interfered. In what really sounds like a barn burner of a match. <laughs> 1995 era Undertaker yeah. versus the British Bulldog without someone to carry him and interference by Mabel. Man, this is not a strong uh, Nitro, but that does not sound like a particularly great Raw yeah. either. Although uh, Marty Jannetty versus uh, Chris Candido could have been pretty damn good because Candido was an underrated gem during that period. So given the fact that Nitro was probably stronger of the two yep who who do the fans end up picking ratings wise well that's a good question raw did pretty well it was the day after a pay-per-view they just had uh either an in your house or summer i think in your house and uh so raw did a 2.7 okay 
And Nitro took a big slide and went down to a 1.9. Oh. Um, the replay got a 0.9. So even if you assume that all those fans are new fans, which they almost certainly not. There's, there's definitely a lot of people who are probably watching this twice. Um, but even if you added those numbers together, it only beats Raw by a tenth of a point. So yeah. this is not a good week for Nitro. Um, and I noted, I was just, when I was looking up the ratings on the Wrestling Observer back catalog, uh, I also read that the Saturday night WCW episode on September 22nd got a 2.2. So that was actually higher than Nitro. Oh. And it also shows in our pre in our premiere episode, I guessed at what the Saturday night ratings were. And, uh, and I guessed very low because I would have never guessed that Saturday night was pulling in a 2.2. So it kind of raises the question, what is the flagship show at this point? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, the thing is, the Saturday night also is not against anything. Sure. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and some other notes from around wrestling. Two days prior to this uh, Nitro episode on September 23rd at an ECW house show, Steve Austin made his debut for ECW. Oh. And also notable, this was the first, uh, that house show was the first ECW show where Mick Foley debuted his technical style this was his anti-hardcore days oh so he had been geez. giving the anti-hardcore promo- promos for a while yeah but this was the first match where he just did a bunch of holds and reversals and refused to do anything hardcore much nice. to the ire of the ecw faithful nice also notable was uh before the in your house pay-per-view uh on september 24th so the day before the show aired uh vince mcmahon held a talent meeting and told everyone that Bill Watts was going to be taking over creative in the company. Uh-oh. And Vince was going to uh, step back into more of it, handling the executive duties. Yeah, Bill Watts also had a run either early in WCW or in NWA. It, yeah, it was WCW. He was and, around before Bischoff. And from what I can remember, it, it didn't go very well. No, he's the one who institutes a lot of old-fashioned rules. I think the the being thrown over the top rope rule that we mentioned is a Bill Watts, yeah, uh, something he instituted. Um, he also didn't like people coming off the top rope. So yeah, he's he's probably not the right person to move a company forward. Uh, also, it was interesting that uh, Vince told the talent at this meeting that they simply didn't have the money to go live. It was impractical and too expensive. And instead, he told them that the way they were going to do uh, try to counter Nitro being live was to get people excited for next week's Raw by showing clips of the actual matches at the end of Raw. And he described this, uh, it was noted a few times, he described this as being like Melrose Place. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's the way he's going to try to counter Nitro being live is by just showing clips of next week. And I I mean, if, if that's what you're trying to do, I... Don't think that's the right way. I think they could compete. I don't think it necessarily has to be that the live show is going to beat the tape show, but I don't think just showing Bart Gunn clotheslining Owen Hart is going to necessarily draw me to Raw next week. Right. Anyway, that is our show for the week. Another Nitro in the books. Uh, Dave, do you have any thoughts on the episode at large? I know you said it wasn't very good, and I kind of agree. You got anything else you want to say about this one? Um, I, th- I think that... Because a lot of the show was hyping up next week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say next week probably has kind of the biggest uh, just hype in general for a Nitro. Um, so this one kind of it, it felt like they just were skipping over it. Like we're, we just want to get this next one going. Table just, setting kind of thing. Table setting. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, will that pay off for WCW? Will the October 2nd Nitro be an episode to remember? 
We will join you next week from Denver, Colorado, the Mile High City, where the big boys play 20 Years of Nitro. What about it? Could it be that just maybe you deny or confirm that you also, I'm straight up with it, do you also want to be the WCW World Heavyweight Champion? Doesn't that also qualify you for having a personal agenda? (laughs) 